I don't know how to start this. Uh, it's been a while, and uh, but I, I do have to say, before we welcome you back to episode number 342 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, I've got to say thanks to Chris. I've got to say hello to everybody. But i got to start off with something. You know, we've talked a lot about on this show over the last year and a half and 341 previously in the canned episodes of this little program that sometimes ex-jocks don't make good executives in the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Well, let me tell you, folks, sometimes ex-jocks don't do very well in the broadcast booth or the stereo, or excuse me, the, the uh, studio format as well. Exhibit A, Paul the Pierce Truth, or Truth Pierce, <laughs> or whatever the hell his name is. It's been a while. Paul Pierce said after game one of this just-completed Eastern Conference semifinal between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics, after Boston's game one, 113-90 to win or something like that, that the series was over. Done. Milwaukee can't compete at this level. Big deal. They won the Central Division, but Boston has too much talent, too much experience. This, the, the, the rest of it, you might as well just mail it in, Milwaukee. You're done. Hey, Paul, who's done today, you asshole? As we welcome you again to this 342nd episode of Unscripted, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. Glad to be back. It's been a while. Had to go down to Las Vegas and find myself. Still looking, but um, I had to start out with that tonight for the simple fact, A, that the Milwaukee Bucks are the hottest team in the state of Wisconsin right now. They've done something that they haven't done in 18 years, which is make it to an Eastern Conference final, which, of course, as we broadcast here on Thursday night, May the 9th, Toronto and Philadelphia are playing to see who's going to move on and meet Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference final. Last time I looked, Philly had a, had a little bit of a lead, and uh, if Philly wins, they tie that series at three games apiece. If Toronto comes back and wins the Eastern Conference Final will be set, Milwaukee and Toronto. And I'm just getting an update here that the 76ers are up 64-51 to over the Toronto Raptors in Philly. So if that stays true to form, we will have a Game 7, I would imagine, probably Sunday in Toronto for all the, you can't say enchiladas, I mean, because, you know, it's like you're playing for the right to play Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Final. But Paul Pierce... For you to come out after one game and say that the series was over. The problem, Paul, is the same problem that Joe Theismann used to have when he was at the just after his career with the Washington Redskins and then he got into the Monday Night Football booth. For the first five or almost ten years that he was doing that gig, he still thought that he could play. And that was his problem and that was my problem with him in the broadcast booth. Same thing here. Paul Pierce, you believe... With that ludicrous statement about three weeks ago before we went on this little hiatus, he had said that he had a better career than Dwayne Wade, which we all called bullshit. And now for him, after one game, to say that Milwaukee was done, the series was done, and Boston was just waiting to see who they were going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals of these NBA playoffs. Hey, Paul, go fuck yourself. (laughs) By the way... uh Paul the Pierce Truth sounds yeah. like an anthropomorphic cock ring, but uh, Anthrop- that's good. You like that? I, you know, I, came I, to way life. Over, way over my oh, whatever. A, a cock ring that came to life is what yeah. that means. Yes. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, I was going to save this for Freeform Friday, but I really enjoyed how uh, they posted an old tweet, not that old, uh, fairly recent, of uh, from the Boston Celtics official Twitter page at Celtics, with a quote from. An unnamed player on their team who's number 42, who said, (laughs) I quote, I still don't see anybody beating us in seven games. And so the response came in swiftly from the Milwaukee Bucks official Twitter page at Bucks. Should we keep playing? (laughs) Anyway, so honestly, when uh, Paul the Pierce Truth, when he said that, uh, that's stupid saying like that it's over after the first game. I, and I texted you this the other night. Yeah, yeah. I honestly thought when he, as soon as he said that, my initial reaction was, yeah, it's probably over for the Celtics because that's as much luck as they're going to get in one series. And now it's going to regress to the mean. And now we're going to see the real best team there uh, come to fruition. And I mean, I don't think there's any doubt which is the better team. There's certainly not a doubt who the best player you know, on either team in that one is. And, uh, 
Yeah, I got to say, Giannis is my favorite player. I like to think if I wouldn't have met you, I'd still have Giannis as my favorite player right now. Mm-hmm. The guy is just awesome. He's so talented. He's just seems like a good guy. Uh, just uh, everything about him is just fantastic. So very, very happy. But uh, Paul Pierce, you fucked up. Yeah, I, I'd say that, uh, you know, and uh, again, that with that ludicrous statement that he had a better career than Dwayne Wade did about, I think it was about three weeks ago, at the end of the, the conclusion of the regular season preposterous a lot of things have been going on since uh chris and i have have been together and and uh you know i want to talk about this but i think maybe we'll wait till later when mikey gets his head out of his ass and brings the right equipment to our recruiting our recording sessions but my bad but uh it was important to get something out because chris took the time to post something the other day on the patreon page saying that we had some new material coming out and we do this will be it and um, I thank Chris for his ingenuity and his patience. And uh, we've got one good episode to do here. So let's, let's get to a plethora of topics. The NBA, the, the uh, NFL draft, we can certainly talk about that. But I want to start, well, I was going to start here, but it's only, it's only fair to start. The last time we recorded, and I listened to this today, the last time we recorded, there was news out of New York. Some guy in New York was reporting that Steve Eiserman wanted a shot at the general manager job in New York to GM the Rangers. Well, of course, since Chris and I have been uh, on hiatus, if you will, as Mikey was finding himself, <laughs> that sounds so bad on so many levels, um, we've had some changes, and one involves obviously Chris's favorite team. Um, Eiserman is now the head man in Detroit. Originally, as I understand it, and maybe you can corroborate or deny or whatever, um, corroborate is about as big as I get. Um, but supposedly Iserman came on as the GM. Ken Holland then got kicked up supposedly to senior vice president of hockey operations or whatever it was in Detroit. And then Bob Nicholson comes out of the back shadows and talks to Ken Holland. And all of a sudden over the weekend, and it became official Monday, new general manager with full autonomy for all hockey operation decisions, which is obviously what they had to do. Like Chris likes to say, and obviously he may not agree, but we needed to clean off some of the boys off the bus a little bit in Edmonton. There's way too many opinions, and ultimately this guy is going to come in and have full autonomy. How much different did Shirelli have full autonomy as well, or he had to answer to somebody? Probably. What's his face? Well, with Peter Shirelli, he was definitely the GM, and he essentially took as much autonomy as he could have. Right. Unlike Ken Holland, he wasn't made to be the president of hockey operations. So he wasn't officially as self-sufficient as Ken Holland is going to be. But they are very, very different operators. So first of all, Ken Holland, this is a really interesting hire because as the very ill Daryl Kate said during the press conference... He's ill? Yeah. So so everyone was, you know, a bunch of assholes on Twitter started making fun of Kate's because I thought he didn't look bad but he looked very dark like I don't know it was a fake tan or what it was or but so apparently and he's been like this for years and he's very private so what's going on is he has a bacterial infection that's resistant to antibiotics it started in his sinuses and it's it's life-threatening and so he's had three surgeries in the last 10 months and he's got one more to go sounds like he's passed the worst of it this condition in general is 50-50 to live, but uh, he seems to be through the worst of it. And of course, there's no expense spared for a billionaire looking after this stuff. So he should come through it. But even two years ago or whatever that was, yeah, two years ago when the Oilers were last in the playoffs, I guess he was going to all the games and carrying an IV bag with him everywhere. So he's been really sick like this for years, and most people haven't known about it because he's he's very, very private. But he was there. He doesn't like to make public appearances anyway. He was there to say, you know what? We looked at a lot of great young minds and all these great candidates, but in the end, no one came close. And that's what he said. And in fairness, all the other candidates, Sean Burke, Mike Futa, uh, Mark Hunter, all of these guys have never been the man at the NHL level when it comes to being a GM. And then you have Ken Holland with 36 years in the Red Wings organization, 22 as a full general manager and more than that as the assistant uh, on top of that. So he was the you know slam dunk choice for if you want stability and if you want a sort of a proven commodity. 
the knocks against Ken Holland are simply that he is a bit out of touch, that he'd had most of his success when he had a huge bankroll and there was no salary cap, although he is, uh, or he does have the distinction of winning a cup in 2008 after the salary cap started. And he also said that uh, the Detroit Red Wings were the last NHL franchise to miss the playoffs in the salary cap era. So in that in that uh, way, uh, I think you have to give him some credit. He's known as a great communicator. He listens to people. He is said to have, quote, no ego whatsoever. And uh, he just seems like a great guy. And I think he'll do uh, a pretty good job. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. For the people that are worried he doesn't subscribe to the new analytics, he says that he absolutely looks at everything, but everything's just a tool. He won't go all in on that. He still uses his guts a bit. And uh, I, d- I just don't think he's a dinosaur, but I think he's going to do a good job. I guess the biggest worry would be that the Oilers' big problem is the salary cap management and that maybe that was the biggest knock against him, even with our Vancouver Bureau Chief Sean Dode, who recently said that was the biggest knock, that he's been overpaying some uh, guys the last few years and the cap situation there isn't amazing. So hopefully he gets that figured out. I think he knows he has to be better with the salary cap. And with everything else, I think he's going to try to make the Detroit Red Wings way, the Edmonton Oilers way, and bring stability to the franchise. And that was certainly the buzzword at the press conference was stability. I guess not a real big surprise. Hitchcock was not retained. Uh, Obviously, Ken Holland will want to bring in his own guy. Um, Who do you think? Because I remember listening briefly to the press conference when he was introduced. His first point of business was to find a coach. Second point of business, obviously, to get some secondary scoring uh, in their lineup. Obviously, they're very dependent right now on two guys. Obviously, we know who they are, Butch and Sundance. And I can't remember the third thing, but let's just concentrate on the first thing. Um, Are we looking for an ex-Red Wing? Are we looking for a Red Wing connection? Are we looking for a surprise out there? Has there been anything you've heard so far from your contacts and and the people you talk to that are Edmonton uh, Oiler fanatics like you are as who may be at least going to get an interview to be the next coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I've been looking at that, and surprisingly, the list isn't that long yet, although I think he will look high and low and really make this a serious search because the only reason he didn't retain Ken Hitchcock, it actually isn't because bringing in his own guy. Ken Holland isn't... No, but I mean, that's what most people would do, right? And it... I mean, I guess you could make the case that's some part of it, but the deal is with Ken Holland. He said that his key is to bring in stability. And how long would Ken Hitchcock realistically coach for? Another year? So it doesn't matter if he thought Ken Hitchcock was the best coach in the world. He can't start him off like this he has to get that stability going as soon as possible and so he is left with no choice if Ken Hitchcock was 20 years younger then sure right but because he's about to retire and he basically had already retired you can't then say oh well can you coach for another 10 years like that's not a realistic ask of somebody so he needs to find some stability the biggest name out there has been Dave Tippett who's currently working with the Seattle expansion franchise however the most interesting name to me is Todd Nelson. And that's because Todd Nelson, if people might remember, was briefly the coach of the Edmonton Oilers a few years ago, right? So Todd Nelson was a great guy, did a really good job, got the best out of his guys. I think he was there the season before they won the lottery, literally, and drafted Connor McDavid. And so they basically decided, okay, well, we're making everything new. And so they, you know, it's sort of like this time, like, you know, they brought in Peter Shirelli, he hires Todd McClellan, they, you know, they had a big name coach out there in McClellan, so they brought him in. But Todd Nelson did a great job. In the meantime, the connection there is that he has gone and been uh, coaching the Red Wings minor league affiliate to great success. So, and I think everybody liked the guy. I just, I really liked him. He just seems like a great coach. And it'd be interesting for him to sort of come back and get a second chance in Edmonton where he never really, he was kind of like Ralph Kruger. He just got a brief time running the Oilers and then never did anything wrong, did a great job, but then caught let go because a new regime wanted to bring in their own guy. And so like with Kruger, it was Dallas Aikens of all things. So with Todd Nelson, he can come back for that reason to kind of, you know, get a second chance, but also because 
you know, uh, he's got that connection to Ken Holland because of working in the minor league, uh, you know, affiliate for the uh, Detroit Red Wings. So I think that is a fascinating, fascinating hire, potentially. He's got the NHL experience with the Oilers. He knows Edmonton, and he's uh, done a great job. He's a player's coach. He's young enough that he could be there for a long time. You know, Ken Holland's contract is five years at $5 million per. So, uh, you know, if he does a good job, they'll want to keep him for as long as possible. So... Uh, those are the those are the names that really stand out. Uh, also, a couple notes. Holland said today that he wants to find a goalie in free agency to complement Miko Koskinen, and the goalie free agent class this summer is amazing. It is unbelievable the amount of goaltending talent there, and because of that, I'm thinking that if he's smart, he might be able to get a pretty good deal on a couple of decent guys because there's going to be so much competition for those big contracts. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky is pretty much the big get out there, but there's a bunch of other ones. I mean, geez, off the top of my head, I think there's Andre Pavlik, Michael Hutchinson, uh, oh boy, Carter Hutton. Uh, Cam Ward, jeez, uh, like there's just Chad Johnson. There's just name after name after name is available to the highest bidder this summer. And so I think, uh, as he said today, Ken Holland is going to bring in another goalie so that he's got sort of two starters because he said a lot of teams are doing two starters. And then was there uh, something else you asked me at the end there too? Um, no, that was about. I I just asked if I just asked you if uh, what you thought that he might be. Oh, obviously, he came up with three things that he needed to address right away. The coaching uh, the coaching hire was first, and then he wanted to look at secondary scoring because they are pretty dependent on Butch and Sundance. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember the third thing, but that. But I really wanted to concentrate on the coaching search to see where Edmonton may be going next. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Though was the key to those Detroit Red Wing teams that were winning all the time is they also had two top guys, but then they had that secondary scoring better than anybody and those second-tier role players. So you had, as he's pointed out too, you had Eisman Fedorov at the same time. You had Zetterberg and Datsuk at the same time. But then you had just the absolute prototypical bottom six guys when you have the mule, Johan Franzen, and you have Chris Draper, and you have guys like this. That's exactly what they need to find. If they find this generation's Johan Franzen and Chris Draper to go along with Leon and Connor, you can, and we have good goaltending, like two good goalies. Geez, like just give us the cup now. Well, and also, if I remember correctly, from um, in the late 90s when they were winning a lot of Stanley Cups with Iserman and, and Shanahan and the whole group. They also had two goaltenders. They had Chris Osgood and they had Mike Vernon. So they have, uh, obviously, when you're, you've been in the playoffs, like they were 25 years in a row, obviously the system was working. So it's nice that Kenny Holland talked to the Illich family before he took the job in Edmonton. I thought that showed great respect. The Illich family said, yeah, Kenny, go do what you got to do. And I think both Edmonton and Detroit, will be better off with their new situations at the general manager position. Steve Eiserman, proven winner. He's going to make Detroit good again, folks. Look what he did in freaking Tampa Bay. Forget about what happened in the postseason, and obviously we, we want to talk about that. Uh, how is it for, I mean, I'm switching gears here real quick, but that's why we call it unscripted. How in the hell they've really made the regular season importance null and void when all four of your division winners get knocked out in the first round of playoffs? I mean, really. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't have the wherewithal or the desire to go look in the books to find out. But I think that would be astounding if that had ever happened, where four division winners in the National Hockey League are all eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, We've got that to talk about. We've got the NFL draft to talk about. Uh, But I want to go to the next topic that I've been waiting pretty much three weeks to talk to Chris about, Tiger Woods. Yes, sir. Tiger Woods. Since he won his 15th major championship a couple weeks ago at Augusta National, every goddamn commercial is about Tiger Woods. Um, his every I mean, the focus is back. It's like we've forgotten the last 10 years and we've gone back to when he won his last major championship, which was at Torrey Pines in 2008. He won the U.S. Open. Um, when he remember he played on a broken leg and a torn up knee and he took and he had to go an extra day with Rocco Mediate. It's been 11 years since he's done that and we and I'm not going to go through all the crap everybody knows but it is amazing. It is amazing how people he has he's already become a favorite to win next week at Beth Page Black 
in the PGA Championship. They're now talking about they've got a promotional campaign on the Golf Channel and on NBC on their telecasts on the weekend about seeking 82, which is Sam Snead's all-time record of, of PGA Tour wins. I mean, it is unbelievable. It's like it's like realistically, in my estimation, because this was what it was like in 1997 when I was in the radio business and Tiger had won his first major championship when he won the Masters tournament by, I think it was 12 shots or whatever it was in 97. It's like Tiger Mania all over again. And um, I know you've got your opinions. I thought that he would win another tour event in his career, I didn't think we would see another major championship, but the way he looked at Augusta, the way he has played the last year and a half, and with the venues coming up in this calendar year in regard to major championship venues, he's won at Beth Page Black, Beth Page Black, where they play next week at the PGA in the renovated tour schedule. They play next week at the PGA. Following that, they go to um, uh, Pebble Beach in California and play the U.S. Open in June. He's won there before, including he won by 15 shots in the 2000 U.S. Open. Now, it is a new venue this year for the British Open, so I don't know a thing about that. But he automatically, along with Kepka and probably a couple others, Rory McIlroy, but for sure, because I've seen the odds, I don't know what the numbers are, but at the, at the top of the, of the board for next week at the PGA and at Pebble Beach in June for the U.S. Open, Tiger Woods is the favorite to win both of those tournaments. Well, I definitely don't think he'll win both those tournaments, but congratulations to Tiger. All the credit to you. I said you'd never win another major or a tournament again, and uh, you proved me wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you uh, did all this. And frankly, if you're going to do all this, why not just do it a few years sooner? It would have been <laughs> maybe even better for everyone involved. But anyway, other than I think some... Uh, potentially older housewives around there who are never going to forgive him no matter what. I think a lot of people have uh, gotten over some of his indiscretions there for sure. And I will say in fairness that when we last recorded and we were giving our predictions for the Masters, I said my gut said Tiger I know, yeah. and my head said Brooks Kepka, and those were the two best golfers in the tournament. I don't care what anybody says. And so uh, I, I will take some solace in that, I suppose. But yeah, he really is back. It feels like it's 2008 again, or maybe 1997 again, in some ways. And uh, I mean, in a way, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like this is the type of hero we deserve. We want these flawed heroes. So I think people want to be able to say, well, you know, if I would have been raised by a guy who loves golfing like that and been putting lessons and if I would have done this and that I could have been this too and you know and he look he's just as flawed or more flawed than I am so uh I you know I can get behind this guy if somebody's just perfect all the time it's it's hard to you know really kind of believe in them and and feel like they're authentic so we've seen uh, all the downsides of Tiger and all his weaknesses so it's interesting that he is so embraced now, even more than I thought he would be if he was to return to glory. And I think that maybe speaks to what people need to see, because it's hard enough not being rich and famous and then having to cheer for those who are, since they already have everything else. But it's interesting how warmly it can be embraced by people who, number one, hated him for some length of time in a lot of cases, and uh, number two, already have uh, you know, just everything, like I said, so... It's it's pretty interesting to me to see the types of people that really get fully embraced like this. But uh, I suppose he's the hero we deserve. But all the credit to him. I'm not taking anything away. He deserved to win. And you could tell it was like Vintage Tiger going down the stretch there. No one was going to stop him in clutch time. And uh, so, you know, all the power to him. But why couldn't you have done it sooner? <laughs> uh... I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I don't care. Um, if uh, you are just joining us, welcome, as we have reunited, and uh, glad to see Chris. It's nice to be here again. Uh, if you are just joining us on this 342nd episode of Unscripted, this will be the only one we do tonight, but we'll get together, and I'll make sure that I pull my head out of my you-know-where and uh, bring the right equipment. Uh, thankfully, Chris is a very ingenious young man and and uh, at least we're going to get one out there today so we fulfill our promise of getting some new programming out into our different social media avenues as promised for friday the 9th of may 
I got to give you a little update, though, about what I learned in Las Vegas. And this is the first one is very concerning to the NFL. And what that is, is that the new Raiders stadium in Las Vegas is behind schedule. And the National Football League is very concerned because the National Football League, if you know, or if you remember, they were supposed to be kicking off the 2019 season in two new stadiums this year. The Rams and the Raiders, excuse me, the Rams and the Chargers Stadium in Los Angeles were built on the old Hollywood Park racetrack, was supposed to open this year. It's been delayed till 2020. And the Raiders were supposed to open their new Las Vegas Stadium originally in 2019. And now... There's a problem potentially in Las Vegas for 2020. The NFL has been consulted. The NFL has been in touch with the prime contractor to get a full update as to what the hell's going on. But in talking to an employment agency in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago when I was down there, um, supposedly they are 1,500 workers short on this Raiders stadium job in Las Vegas. And I'm wondering... Well, if you're short, go out and find the goddamn people. Um, But there is some real concern here, folks, because remember, there was a real concern about where the Raiders were going to play in 2019, and they aren't going to have the luxury, I don't think, of going to play in Oakland if they would have to in 2020. So that is why the National Football League has gotten very excited and, again, has been in contact with the prime contractor on the project to find out what the hell is going on and supposedly the uh, National Football League wants regular updates as to the progress on the construction of the new Raiders Stadium in Las Vegas. And guys, let's not screw this up. Come on, let's not screw this up. You're getting a team in the desert, and let's hunker down and make this happen. The Raiders cannot be moved to 2021. All momentum would then go. There'd be a great loss of momentum, and I think that would potentially slow down the Raiders rebuild job. They're building up, as Chris and I have said many times on this program, they're building up to a grand opening with all these new bodies and all these new players that they brought in, and they'll have the draft of next year before they take the field in Las Vegas in 2020, and let's hope they have a field to go to. Real quickly, before I hand the mic literally over to the executive producer, one other thing I've got to make mention, and this again is about Las Vegas. The next professional sports league in my opinion to touch down in las vegas now that we've got the national hockey league soon to have hopefully the national football league i think it's going to be major league baseball because they have built a new triple a stadium in las vegas in Summerlin. it's the summer home or the triple a home this year of the oakland athletics the triple a las vegas avengers or some bullshit like that but anyway, I'm not ta- who cares about that? I'm talking about the stadium itself. It's beautiful. It's ready-made for major league players. It has a, a major league team. It's got a seating capacity of about 43, 42 or 43,000. Obviously, they're thinking big picture. There's still a triple-A center, a triple-A city. But I really believe in my heart of hearts with this new ballpark in Summerlin, which is one of the nicer places, one of the nicer parts of Las Vegas in the northwest quadrant of the city. It's a beautiful, it's got the backdrop of, of Red Rock Canyon. Um, I think the next major, major sports team to look at Las Vegas, especially with the Tampa Bay Rays not knowing where they're going to play and how long they're going to be playing in that mausoleum. And if they can't come up with a stadium deal in Montreal, I think a viable option might be Las Vegas for a baseball team. Jeez, Tampa Bay. They might as well be called the Tampa Bay Ray Charles because I can't <laughs> see how they're going to stay there. But anyway, yeah, so I think that Vegas is going to be, uh, they're going to have all big four teams in the fairly near future because they should have had all four a long, long time ago, as far as I'm concerned, and they didn't have any until recently. So I think they'll eventually catch up. It's a real city, folks. It's not just the Strip. There's a real city of uh, more people than are in Calgary. And so uh, they've they've deserved this for a long time. And really, if you are the entertainment capital of the world, then uh, you should have some sports there to go along with the Celine Dion's and the Wayne Newtons and the Tom Jones and all the other highlights of yesteryear. 
highlights. Yeah, Wayne Newton can't even sing anymore. Yeah, you're telling me about that. Did Tom? Did Tom Jones pass away? No, he didn't die. No, he's just retired. He's retired. Okay, is that what it is? But yeah, and everyone's doing their residencies. Bronze his manhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, I love Vegas, and I'll be happy to have them get all their teams. And I've always said. Uh, any team that goes to Las Vegas will be my favorite team in that sport, except for in hockey, where it's the Oilers and then Vegas number two. And uh, I've kept true to that, and I'll have to cheer for the Raiders once they go to Vegas. And, uh, you know, I'm not too big on baseball or basketball that much, but uh, I'll cheer for Vegas when they get those teams as well. So very excited for that uh, with the Raiders stadium. It's interesting how little information there is about behind schedule. I had seen a story quite a while ago and then I can't, haven't seen anything since and I look right now and if you can even type into Google Las Vegas Stadium delay or behind schedule and you get nothing you get nothing so they're really keeping a lid on this now maybe that first story got out and maybe someone was pretty unhappy about it it looks like Allegiant Air is going to be the sponsor so they're going to be calling it Allegiant Stadium did they say I think anyway something like that but uh, yeah, I, I almost thought they would just, because there's so much money there already, I almost thought they would go with something like just Las Vegas Stadium or something. So yeah. I'm almost disappointed there's a, uh, that there's a sponsor on that because I get so tired of that and it ruins a lot of names. But anyway, yeah, I'll, I'm excited for the new stadium. I hope they can get it done because they've had a lot of time. And the LA one better be ready for 2020 for sure, too, because they've already had an extra year, which was silly. But anyway, looking forward to uh, going to a... Uh, and a regular season NFL game next year in Las Vegas. So don't let me down. Um, before we call it a, a wrap on this uh, edition of Unscripted, uh, and again, episode number 342, um, there's something that I think, um, and I, you know, we're just kind of getting our feet wet again. It's been about a month. And um, so um, bear with us. Um, I'm going to get my head out of my backside and make sure that, uh, you know, I come better prepared, but, um, there's something that I think that, uh, and we'll probably continue to discuss this because this is a topic that I think we need to, and this is not a shot at the current resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Mr. Trump has done a lot of good things in the United States. So this is not a shot at Mr. Trump, but I'm thinking that we should probably put, because this has happened again this week to the Boston Red Sox, who are scheduled to meet, I believe it's either today or maybe it's tomorrow. It was supposed to happen sometime this week. Maybe it was Wednesday of this week. They were to meet with the president and be congratulated for their most recent World Series championship from back in late October uh, when they won their fourth uh, World Series championship since the turn into the 21st century. And But... I think that we need to start, if the whole team does not come, if a couple of guys don't come, I don't think anybody should come. I think you win as a team, you lose as a team, you celebrate as a team, and there's great division. That's all I've been hearing about in Boston from, from Boston the last couple of days besides the Celtics collapse and Kyrie Irving's lack of leadership and Paul Pierce being a moron and the Bruins moving to the Eastern Conference Final in the National Hockey League playoffs. Congratulations to them. But the biggest story has been the supposedly the dissension in the Red Sox clubhouse over who is and who isn't going to meet with President Trump sometime this week to celebrate their most current World Series championship. Until we come in as a team, folks. And the Golden State Warriors declined as a team. They went and spent their time with a local charity in the Washington, D.C. area, time well spent. But, you know, I know the Washington Capitals had some controversy because their goaltender, Holtby, didn't go in when they all met with, with uh, you all. Listen to me. Oh, my God. <laughs> down, 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 down. But when they all, all went in and, and were celebrating their first uh, Stanley Cup winning championship in their 44 years of existence and <clears throat> their goaltender in there. We're seeing a lot of division like that. If you can't go in as a team, then don't go in at all. I think it's disrespectful to the office of the President of the United States if some of the guys show up, or some of them do and some of them don't. You win as a team, you lose as a team, 
you celebrate as a team. And if you can't do it as a team, then just politely decline the invitation. Well, politics has gotten so toxic and so divisive that, and I don't think this is just Trump. I, I really think no, that... No, I don't either. I, that's why I said I'm no. not... Oh, I know, I know, but I'm I'm talking about even I think going forward, even when you have, unless you have someone that's really really as charismatic as a, an Obama or something, I honestly think that no matter who's in there, most of the time going forward, unless somehow things can reverse and get better, I think that almost doesn't it almost doesn't matter who's going to be in office. It's going to be like this where you know half of the team feels marginalized and half is all excited and. You know, everyone, because now it's not just, you can't just disagree with anybody anymore. They're just, anyone who doesn't disagree, anyone who doesn't agree with your political opinions is a piece of garbage, basically is how most people are acting. So, I mean, with somebody like an Obama, maybe just because he seems like a cool guy and, and whatever, but most of the time, especially if it's any Republican, really, because the left essentially just says, oh, every Republican's racist. Well, okay. <laughs> so, I mean... It's just, it's always going to have something like this. So uh, until things get better, and I don't know why they would get better. So it, it is sad to see, though, but uh, I don't, I, I just think it's ridiculous to say no to the president. I think that's just a, a crazy thing to do. If you get a chance to meet the president, go. It's an honor. You can put things aside. Like we talked about uh, a while back on Unscripted. If I was going to see somebody I couldn't stand, like Trudeau or Nenshi, if it was to, <laughs> you know, well, seriously, if it was to honor me, yeah, I'll go. Like seriously, like I mean, you can respect the office or whatever, and uh, and it's just it's just crazy to me that uh, that they're not doing this and that they're being so petty. It's just it it doesn't make Trump look bad. It makes them look bad. Again, a lot of things to talk about, and when we get together the next time, we will have a bunch of different things to talk about. Um, I want to see Chris's uh, feelings on who may have won the National Football League draft who may have lost the National Football League draft. I have a very unique, and I think Chris will be surprised by this, but I think the Miami Dolphins, I'll leave this as a bit of a teaser, I think the Miami Dolphins made the trade of the draft with what they had to give up and what they're paying the guy they acquired. And I'm talking about quarterback Josh Rosen, and I'll let you stew on that until we get together the next time. Um, Yeah, Um, real quick. Before we do say goodbye, um, it looks like there is going to be a Game 7 in the NBA Eastern Conference semifinal between the Toronto Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers as with about halfway to go through the fourth quarter, Philly's up 95-73 again with about, I believe it was about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. So it looks like there is going to be a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference semifinal between the boss, excuse me, between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Raptors and the winner We'll get the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final. Kevin Durant, real quick before I uh, sign off and, and give the microphone to Chris, real quick, Kevin Durant is going to be out at least a week, they're saying, with his, it is thankfully for all Warriors fans and maybe Knicks fans next year, but it is a calf. It is a mild calf strain. It is not an Achilles Uh, It is not a grade two calf strain, which would be a four to six week injury, and he would be out indefinitely. He would not see the floor again yet this year. Um, Adrian Wojnarski, I believe is how you say his name, from ESPN. Uh, He's their basketball insider. Um, He's believing that he could be back if they get past Houston. He could be back for game one of the Western Conference uh, final and they would be playing, of course, either Denver or Portland. Denver leads in that game or that series three games to two. So we've got the National Football League to talk about. We've got a lot of National Hockey League to talk about, obviously. I mean, at the beginning of the year, Bruins and Hurricanes in the East, Sharks and Blues in the West. Who the hell would have thought of that? If you'd have been smart enough to put 100 bucks down on that, you'd be a wealthy man right now. But, I mean, who in the hell would have thought, especially, maybe not so much the Bruins, but the Hurricanes? I mean, they brought in Dougie Hamilton. <laughs> Calgary didn't even want Dougie Hamilton, and look who went farther in the playoffs. We got to talk about the collapse down at uh, the floodplain <laughs> flames. Been waiting to talk about that, but we might need a whole we might need a whole episode oh, to talk about what happened with the floodplain <laughs> flames. And it was funny. I don't have a microphone because I screwed up today. But I was going to was Chris was rattling off all those potential free agent goaltenders. You think Kenny Holland would look at Mike Smith? <laughs> that's why i'm laughing pal um it's been great i'll let chris uh say goodbye but thanks for every thanks to everybody 
And I look forward to speaking with you under normal conditions sometime next week. Okay, well, if you have a few more minutes here. I do. Okay, so it's uh, late Thursday night as we record this, and uh, we'll have this up for Friday. So since it is for Friday, I'd like to just do maybe a mini version of Freeform Friday if we could Perfect. here. And because uh, and there's some I really wanted to get to, especially this first one. I just really enjoyed this so much. And you and I both hate this fucking idiot. Ooh, good. I'm going to like it. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's, let's head to Twitter and see what we find here. So this is a, an account I've never actually uh, checked out before, but I love the name of it. So this Twitter account is called Freezing Cold Takes at Old Takes Exposed. So basically they take like uh, people's predictions and opinions at a time and then look back later how stupid they were. <laughs> kind of like... Paul the Pierce Paul truth, Pierce, yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. You're gonna enjoy this one, okay? I bet I am. And I had to get to it today because this tweet is literally from today, and it says five years ago today. So they have dragged out an old tweet from Twitter from this idiot from May 9th, 2014. So here it is. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I want to get your. I'm just gonna say it, and I'm gonna pass the microphone yeah. over and get your instant reaction to this amazingly freezing cold take, which is Skip Bayless at. Oh, Real Skip Bayless. Johnny Football will one day be bigger in Cleveland than his buddy LeBron ever was. Oh, my God. Skip Bayless. You know, this is the guy, if you remember, I told you that brought out the story. Yeah. Johnny Football will one day be bigger in Cleveland than his buddy LeBron ever was. Oh, my God. This is the guy, if you remember, and I know you do, that this was the guy back in the 90s during the Cowboys run that he came out with the preposterous story that Troy Aikman was gay. <laughs> this is my same problem that I have with this piece of shit that I have with Colin Coward. Mm -hmm. No fact, no backup, no research, just opinions flying off the seat of their pants. And I don't believe that's the proper way to present yourself on the radio, on the television, on a podcast, anything. I think that if you're going to make a statement... Either say this is your full op your opinion or, or, or come with some fact. How in the hell? I mean, Johnny Manziel can't even, he can't keep a job. I don't know what he did in Canada. No one has, no one has really opened up that can of whoop-ass yet as to why he got kicked out of the Canadian Football League and not even kicked out of Montreal. He can't sign with another of the other now 10 teams in the league or nine teams in the league. He can't sign with anybody else. And this piece of garbage, now, Cavius Reed is an idiot or whatever his name is, the general manager of the Alouettes, but to give up two players and two number ones, just ridiculous for a guy that ended up playing about, what, nine games for you? Talk about, you know, really ruining your rebuilding program in Montreal. But this is my problem with guys like Skip Bayless, guys like, as I said, Colin Cowherd, that just... And now Paul, the truth, Pierce. Paul, the difference here is when Paul Pierce says it, you may not believe it, but having been a 10-time All-Star or whatever it was in the NBA, having won a 2008 championship with the Celtics, you got to believe him because he's actually been in the trenches. It's preposterous, obviously. But when small, idiot white guys, not Chris and I, I'm talking about guys like Coward and, and Bayless are sitting here making preposterous statements. Like my problem a couple weeks ago before we took our little hiatus with, with uh, Colin Coward was he was calling for the trade of LeBron James for Zion Williamson. Are you kidding me? That's as, that's as stupid as this guy saying that Johnny Football is going to be more popular in the state of Ohio, the city of Cleveland, the city of Akron, than LeBron James. Some guys should not operate machinery. Some guys should not drive automobiles. Some guys should not have microphones in front of their mouths. And these two guys are two prime examples. Okay, well, I definitely needed your uh, take on this guy because I don't know this guy this well, but you must know him. So XFL at XFL 2020. Official Winston Moss is the XFL Los Angeles head coach and general manager. Yeah, um... Okay, this guy was a middle linebacker back in the Jimmy Johnson days at the University of Miami. And he also played, I believe, one year. Basically, this guy won three national championships over a four-year span at the University of Miami under Jimmy Johnson and then his successor, Dennis Erickson. 
Winston Moss has been the middle or the linebacker, inside linebacker coach. Excuse me. His official title is assistant head coach and inside linebackers coach for the Green Bay Packers. He's been in Green Bay through the whole tenure of Mike McCarthy. He came with McCarthy um, years ago when McCarthy came from San Francisco. Previously to that, he had been in New Orleans, and at that time, Winston Moss had been playing an active player with the New Orleans Saints. They reconvene in Green Bay 13 years ago. This guy has been very outspoken in some of his comments. He's one of, he's one of the guys that ripped Aaron Rodgers in the offseason about his leadership capabilities or lack thereof. This guy um, was not... All the guys that have left Green Bay have gone on to either coordinator jobs or head coaching positions. This guy can't even get an interview. Why? Very controversial with some of his comments. And again, one of these guys that, even though his playing days have been over for at least 15 years, thinks he could go out there and do better tomorrow. And I feel sorry for the L.A. team because... How in the hell does an inside linebacker coach, how does that make him a general manager of any professional sports team? And I know this is a new league, but it's still, they're getting paid. These are professional athletes. And here's the guy that has zero, 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 zero front office experience. And he's going to be the first general manager of the new LA team in the XFL. Good luck, whoever made that decision. Well, he'll probably also be the last general manager <laughs> of the LA team, so there's always that. Okay, I, I wanted to get your uh, take on this. I think this is an interesting question. I'm not sure what my answer is to it. But uh, Mitchell Renz at Mitchell Renz 365 says, I'm going to ask you a question that he's asking here, and I'd like, ideally, uh, both a city and a sport. City uh, and a sport, okay. Okay, I mean, all, it's all the same, so it's about fans, okay? Right. Uh, certain sports fans from a certain city. Okay. Who are the dumbest fans in sports? Well, if I'm sitting in a comedy club, my answer would be anyone that cheers for the Minnesota Vikings or the Chicago Bears. But in reality, um, dumbest... Well, hit me with the question again. Who are the dumbest fans in sports? Well... Pick a city and a sport. You know, I I have got to go Boston right now. Wow. Um, Which sport? I, I got to go basketball. Um, I have been unbelievably disappointed with the performance of the fans and their disrespect. And I'm a homer. I, I, I will tell you that. I am a homer toward anything involving the state of Wisconsin. You're supposed to be. That's where you're born and raised. And some of the things that I've been hearing from fans and the disbelief that I've been hearing and, the, and what I've been reading about since the... And even really pretty much in the last 24 hours since the Bucks eliminated them. And, I mean, after game one, the Bucks have taken the Celtics to the woodshed the last four nights or the last four games. They beat the hell out of them four times in a row, and there was no explanation for it. But I, I really believe that um, the fans of Boston, and, 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 and look at it this way, folks. Boston was on their way. They were halfway through a slam in regard to championships. Look at it this way. The Red Sox win the World Series in October. Patriots win the Super Bowl in February. You still had, obviously, the Celtics in competition for an NBA championship until yesterday, and you still obviously got the Boston Bruins in hunt for a championship as they have proceeded to the Eastern Conference Finals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you really, if Boston plays up to what everybody thought they were going to play up to, Boston had a real chance as a city to win four championships, a Boston slam they were talking about today. But folks in Boston, I I know you're obviously, you've had an unbelievable run, but last year you guys made the NBA, almost, excuse me, one game short of the NBA finals without Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Kyrie Irving. And even coach Brad Stevens today, who I found to be an unbelievably classy guy, took all the blame for all the Celtics bullshit this year, which he didn't have anything to do with. He's only working with what he's got to work with. And I can't believe that they made it all the way as far as they did last year without those two potential every-year All-Stars, and they're a worse team this year when they get them back. What does that say about your leadership on your team? And these Boston fans who just won't acknowledge that... The Celtics are not the Celtics 
still of since the great the big three of Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and Kevin McHale. Didn't like those guys, but they they competed and won championships. Since that, that great run 30 years ago for the Boston Celtics, they've won one championship. They won in 2008. So instead of proclaiming that your team got screwed by bad officiating or whatever it was, the, the water in Milwaukee or whatever it was, or Kyrie Irving was only just as you know dreadfully bad as he was, put all the bullshit aside. Your team got your ass kicked over the last four games by the Milwaukee Bucks, and you showed your real fan IQ, which isn't real high right now on the Richter scale. I think uh, as a born and raised Canadian, it's very easy to say that the dumbest fans in sports would be some sort of hockey fans in the Sun Belt, but I'm not going to do it about it. I, I thought about it while you were talking, and I'm going to hit you with this as my choice for dumbest fans in sports, and I think Mike will have a hard time arguing with this. How about Utah Jazz? Right. Salt Lake City already right there before any sports come to town. You're pretty much there you go. Uh, you know, have fun with Jesus coming back to Missouri as soon as he comes back to Jerusalem. The second stop is Missouri, according to the people who adhere to the faith that was started by a 21 year old con man named Joseph Smith, who is known for trafficking magic crystals anyway. And then, of course, on top of all that, though, they, you know, they've been, you know, busting out the whole, like, you know, insulting black people at an NBA game. Like, I mean, I don't know where you start with that. But anyway, so I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz for the dumbest fans in sports. Yeah, yeah, hard to argue with. Okay, a couple of real quick hits before we get out of here. And I will just say we will get together soon, probably in the next few days, hopefully sometime. And uh, we'll have lots more to expand on because I do want to get to some deeper dives like into the NFL draft. And I also uh, have a good breakdown ready for I've been doing my research on exactly what happened at the Kentucky Derby. And so I do want to get into that and really break that down as well. But uh, for tonight, uh, we've got almost an hour here to uh, help uh, get uh, people like uh, Greg, who's, uh, you know, going through withdrawal from Unscripted. So we thank you, Greg. But uh, hopefully this hour will tide you over until our next few episodes, which will be coming out shortly. But uh, just to end off here, a couple quick hits. Uh, I I do actually want an analysis on this one, even though it is a joke here. So uh, Doug Birak at D. Birak had a story here. Nets D'Angelo Russell cited for marijuana possession and check bag at LaGuardia. And uh, Tom Westerholm at Tom underscore NBA said, you hate to see this. D'Angelo Russell had to fly out of LaGuardia? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I actually do, because I've never been to New York, I actually do want to know uh, your thoughts on the difference between JFK and LaGuardia. I've flown into uh, JFK. I've never flown into LaGuardia. Oh, okay. um, JF- like the B, C team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, in Chicago, it's like uh, O'Hare is the big one and Midway is the bottom feeder. I don't even know Midway. Midway's right downtown Chicago. And like Southwest is the only one that flies in there. It's like uh, in California, in LA, you've got big, obviously the big one, you've got LAX and then you've got Orange County. Um, Same thing, let's say in Washington, you've got uh, Ronald Reagan Airport and uh, there's another one. uh, I don't know. Houston's got two. International is the big one. Houston Hobby is the the ugly stepchild. So, um, you know, JFK is number one enchilada. In fact, I believe now... I may be wrong, but right off the top of my head, more people may fly into Newark, New Jersey, than they fly into LaGuardia now. I mean, it's just Newark is, wow. yeah, Newark is kind of, I don't know, but maybe it's because they get, maybe, maybe, and I, I'm just, I'm just giving an opinion here, but maybe it's cheaper flights out of, out of Newark. I don't know. Do you take the subway from Newark to Manhattan? Or well, I, you could take, you could take, uh, I would imagine you'd have, uh, no, I don't know if you could get subway there. Uh, I think you'd probably just have to get there on a cab, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. How I don't, long is that from Newark to- no, it's uh, people like the New Jersey devils that, yeah. and you know, the, the New Jersey nets that were, were stationed in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the time, the jets and the giants right. both play, they would fly into Newark. It's just closer. So and and who wants to deal with Manhattan going down to JFK? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've only flown into JFK and uh, it was crowded beyond crowded. But uh, the busiest airport I still have ever been in, and it's they stay now, is takes the most passengers. But this here's a little bit of trivia for you. What uh, current United States airport handles the most daily flights? There's a trick in there. 
the most think about buses. that yeah 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 okay hold on now the most passengers go through atlanta but what airplane oh. see there's the trick in the question what airplane or excuse me what airport services the most daily flights and when you think about it it has to do with shipping boxes is what i'll say and this company's hub is in this city i i i no i'm not sure i'm not sure what is it fedex is based in memphis tennessee wow i didn't know fedex was based in memphis Wow, yeah, Memphis isn't even a big, really that big a city. Right? No, but because of how big a business, how big a business uh, FedEx does, the number one flight-generated uh, airport in the United States right now is Memphis, Tennessee. Surprised the hell out of me. I just oh. thought it was all the tourists that were still looking for Elvis. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, uh, just a couple more quick comments here. Just I wanted to uh, mention to Mike, and then he, uh, after I mention these, he can just take it and he can take it home here. But uh, I, uh, poor Mark Hunt in the UFC, the big Samoan, always fights guys who end up testing positive for juice. And so for some reason, he got into a war with Fabricio Verdum on social media, and Verdum said, Something basically, you're not following daddy. When daddy sees you, I'm going to knock you out again. So Mark Mark Hunt said, daddy doesn't have a, basically saying this to Verdum's kids. Daddy doesn't have a job anymore because daddy sticks needles in his stupid ass. Enjoy working at the petrol station, you rat fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Mark Hunt, the most fearless man on the face of the earth. There is no, it is impossible to intimidate this. This is the king. If you have, if you don't know Mark Hunt, he's, yeah. he, his nickname is the Super Samoan. He's like 44 years old. He is the king of the walk-off knockout. He is the only guy in MMA. I don't care. There's these other hard punchers like Stipe and Junior Dos Santos. And that. He is the only guy who, if he hits you, you're out. Like, like when, and like, he's the only guy who has the confidence to walk away. Like he will hit, he, he knows when he lands a good one and he just walks away. He doesn't even wait for the ref to call it off. He just literally just starts walking away because he knows. And uh, he is the, one of the scariest people ever. And uh, But he is just fearless in every way. And the last comment I'll simply say was uh, this guy named John Boys, uh, John underscore Boys, sorry, at John underscore Boys, uh, just talking about the NHL playoffs. And I will agree with him that the NHL playoffs have had a lot of exciting hockey. There's been a lot of good stuff. I was talking to a friend of mine in Saskatchewan who likes watching the playoffs and said, you know what? Um, a lot of people criticize it for not being as tough as it used to be back in the day, but he's like, I love it. It's so much faster. There's great action. It's back and forth. There's, there's actual good plays. There's less hooking and holding and, uh, you know, just, I love it. Right. And what he said. So that's pretty cool. But I just love this tweet. The guy asks, why watch overtime playoff hockey when you can simply snort cocaine and ride a motorcycle out of a helicopter? Oh, 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 oh my God, that's funny. Um, you know what? This has been, and I was in Las Vegas um, during the first round series between the Vegas Golden Knights and San Jose. And um, I do not agree to this day, and I'm a homer in this regard too. I'll say it right here from God and country. I do not believe that in Game 7 that should have been a five-minute major uh, on Joe Pavelski. Um, and then at that time, Vegas had a three, nothing lead. And for the first time in his Vegas career, for sure. And I don't even know if it's even been that bad during his Pittsburgh career, but I had never saw Mark Andre Fleury lose his cool, lose yeah. his composure, lose his ability to stop the puck to, for them, meaning the San Jose Sharks, congratulations to him, but to score four goals in a five minute period, I think they have called the uh, playoffs very closely, very tightly. They have really been watching. I think that they have called, the games have been officiated more tightly than I've seen them in the years past in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're not uh, letting people get away with a lot of stuff. Um, but I thought that that was a bit much. And again, I'm saying it right here, as I said, to God and country, I'm a homer, I'm a, I'm a Las Vegan, and... Uh, you know, I was sitting in a Vegas bar when that game was going on and the bar went crazy. And not a lot of people know hockey yet down in Vegas, but they sure knew about that one. And it was, it was, I think that has been so far 
the most controversial call of the playoffs. Because if you switch the scenario, I don't think anybody really. And let's put some blame on Vegas too. Vegas had a 3-2 lead going home and couldn't close it out. Give credit where credit is due to the San Jose Sharks for winning a big game six in Las Vegas. But I think that has been a really a playoff changing goal because I really believe that Vegas had the momentum up until that point and I think Vegas would have brought a different spin to the teams that we still have remaining in the playoffs again credit to San Jose they felt that their teammate got assaulted and that's great and it it gave them that that bunch of a burst of adrenaline that really obviously led them to um, now they're in the Western Conference final but I think it it very easily could have been the Vegas Golden Knights two years in a row, potentially making a Stanley Cup Finals run in the NHL playoffs. Well, absolutely. And yeah, we could talk about this all day. And I know we haven't got to vent about it, but just quickly here. uh, Well, first of all, the Boston Bruins are looking at potentially having the easiest road to a Stanley Cup championship in the history of the sport, at least any time you've had to go through four rounds, because they're just basically playing. They're playing. They get to start against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are their playoff bitch every year. And then they get to face all wildcard teams potentially on the route to the final. Like, it's crazy how everything's falling into place for the Boston Bruins. You'd have to look at them as the massive favorites to win the cup at this point but uh yeah i don't fault the players of the sharks actually no you know what i do fault the players for the sharks because they should not have needed anything whether it was a phantom call or not and it certainly was a phantom call they should not have needed that in a game seven because until that they looked like shit they didn't even show up at all they're down three nothing they look pathetic they looked like it was game two of the regular season against a team they don't respect. Like, it was pathetic. They should not need that to all of a sudden get all excited about it. It's your job to win. There's a lot of people counting on you. And frankly, I do blame them for that. But once they did uh, start playing, that's great. But they never should have had the opportunity at the extreme most. And to me, it's no penalty at all. If you at least give a double minor because you see blood, that's one thing. But then that's the max you can get on that is two goals. The whole thing was a complete farce. I am. I have to say, though, I am impressed by the league to, number one, bench those refs for the next yep. rest of the playoffs, and number two, to apologize to Vegas. Although, the Vegas Golden Knights, this is the first mistake I've really seen from their management. You do not then go out and blab that, yeah, the league called us and apologized. You don't do that. That's, That's a mistake. True. I'm worried that the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have some sort of repu- rep- retribution. I could see the league not being that happy about that because that's uh, that's pretty embarrassing. So good for the league for benching the refs and apologizing, but uh, Vegas shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have made that public. I'm glad they did because I'm glad I can know that the league, like, wow, maybe Gary Bettman, you know, since I, I usually take it pretty easy on him because uh, I do like a lot of the stuff he's done, even though he is a little weasel. I, well, he, I mean, honestly, he, I, I feel like he'd admit that, frankly. But anyway, um, uh, that's great. It's nice to see the NHL making some great decisions as a league when we've seen almost nothing but leagues making terrible decisions. And I just remembered, I usually end on an onion note, and I've noticed that the onion's been kind of shitty lately, but I do like this one right here, yeah. so I will just leave you with this. The onion at the onion. Dedicated Russell Westbrook stays late after practice to miss 100 extra shots. Uh, Russell Westbrook and Paul George just went all, went under the knife surgically the last couple of days, so they aren't shooting anything for a while. Um, Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, has overstayed his welcome in Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City, and I bet one person that is re- is regretting the day that he signed on the dotted line in o- the state of Oklahoma's biggest city would have to be Paul George because in that current format, with Russell Westbrook having thinking that he had to get a triple-double every game is actually hurting that team more than he's helping that team. And unfortunately, they still owe him, I believe, five or six years on his contract, and that is going to be a burden that no one's going to want to take on. And I feel bad for Paul George because he stayed true to the city of Oklahoma City, and now look what he's getting for it. Uh, Not real happy with that. Real quick, I got to tell you, this was funny down in Vegas. Remember Brad May? Mm-hmm. used to play for the Vancouver Canucks. Mayday, right. Mayday. He's the color analyst in the studio on Vegas Golden Knights broadcast. Mm-hmm. He sucks. He's terrible. He's terrible. Well, you know, it, it, the boys got to go. Brad, you're not Mr. Cherry. Just shut the fuck up and do your thing. Just analyze the game and leave the, you know, Mr. Cherry can get away with it. 
you do a very good Don Cherry. I don't, but... <laughs> you like an idiot kid. Right, and leave that shit, you know, no, 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 no. Broadcast and analyze what the little studio host is asking you. Answer his questions and move on. We don't... I, I was just... I thought when I saw that the first time, I, I laughed for about 10 minutes, and then I thought Brad May must have gone to practice too many times without his helmet on because as a studio analyst, he sucks. Just... uh I just had to throw that in there while I thought about it because I just thought about it while I wrote it down. Um, a very interesting first uh, episode back. Um, again, I apologize to Chris and the listeners of Unscripted. I totally forgot. Uh, it's tough to go into a studio without a microphone, and, and Chris was ingenious enough to rig one up for us, but uh, I will make sure I will make amends, and it won't happen again. But it was good to get back. Uh, thank you for the kind words from Greg. Um, I miss doing this as well, so... Um, you know, we'll get her back together and, uh, well, I'll get it back together. Chris didn't do anything wrong. Um, and we'll make sure that episodes 343 and subsequent ones down the line are, uh, are back to our normal standards here on Unscripted. I thank you all for listening and, uh, look forward to speaking with you again very, very soon. Having said all that for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen until next time.